want to say welcome to our video audience today. It's good to have you with us. My name is Sherwin. I'm the pastor here at Laketon Bethel. And uh, you can find out more about us on our website. And you can also support us there if you'd like to. Today, I want to start off with a profound question. I, uh, well, first I'll tell a little story. You know, one of the earliest memories I have of my mom is seeing her ride a dairy cow. Now, how many of you here can remember your mother riding a milk cow? Anyone? See, so I, I guess I am a little weird, but I do remember her doing that. My, uh, my dad, when my grandpa died, sold out his whole dairy business, but kept one cow, and it was a very special cow, and my mom liked to ride it. She would get up every morning and milk it because we had one cow that was going to supply our family dairy needs. And my dad fenced in a big portion of the lawn, and it was that cow's job then to keep that grass mowed and provide us with lots of meadow muffins. But it was kind of an interesting time. It's, you know, I just remember my mom doing that, and she had to be in her 20s and early 30s when she was doing that. Today, she's in a nursing home, and she's in the Alzheimer's unit. She can't see, and she can't walk. You know, our bodies just tend to wear out from time to time. I remember her was starting at 5 a.m. and going until 10 p.m. every day. But she can't do that now. She's 90 years old and it's just not working for her. Our bodies wear out. I remember when we went first went to two services here. I'd conduct those two worship services. And then I would load the kids up and we'd go for a 30-mile bike ride. Today, I look forward to making the 10 feet to my recliner. It's a whole different world. I was talking with Dave Singleton, who some of you will remember. He passed away a few years ago. But as he was getting close to the end, he said something to me. I'll never, I said, Dave, it's hard for me to see you in this condition, you know, because you're always so active. You're always running around and everything. You know, he grew his own grapes. I mean, he had all kinds of stuff going on. He said, yeah, it's kind of the pits to be this sick. But he looked at me and he pointed at me and he goes, someday it will happen to you too. And that's always stuck with me because it does. It happens to all of us. And uh, the slide you see up there is Mick Jagger, uh, 60 years ago and today. 60 years ago, I remember watching concert footage where he put one of these little mini trampolines behind the drummer and he would take a run and jump and do a somersault over the drummer and land on his feet to, of course, Jumpin' Jack Flash. And uh, today, this was taken on his 80th birthday, he's leaning on his bodyguard to get down a flight of steps. See, it does kind of happen to all of us. And it would be nice if there was such a thing as a fountain of youth. And I understand there is one in Florida, or what they thought was one. Of course, it's not. It's, there's even a, a special park somewhere about that. And uh, we, we read about, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, the waters of Bethsaida, where these people, sick people, crippled people, whatever, would gather around this, this pool. And it's said that when the water stirred, they believed an angel was stirring the waters. And so the first one in got healed from whatever it was. Now, there was a, a crippled fellow from birth laying there. And uh, Jesus walked up to him and said, nah, get up and walk. 
And so the guy did. He healed him on the spot. But if there was a fountain of youth, would you use it to restore your youth? And if there was a fountain of youth, how much would you pay to use it, to take a drink from it, and then find yourself age 25 again? What would you do? We spend billions of dollars each year trying to look younger. I don't do that. I'm trying to perfect the grandpa bod thing, you know, but uh, lots of people do spend lots of money on that. Billions are spent on weight loss. A good session of irritable bowel syndrome does the same thing. Exercise equipment. We spend billions on that every year. What would we do to get a new perfect body? What would we do? What would you say if that new perfect body was offered to you free of charge? And the offer is real. And it is offered to you free of charge. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about that. Earlier I mentioned this fellow, Jerry Horner. And I want to talk to you about it. I had a birthday this past week and he contacted me. We're friends on Facebook. He's got to be in his mid-90s by now. And uh, he was a professor of New Testament at ORU when I was there. He's the one that turned me into a New Testament freak. It was his uh, persuasion that got me into that. Uh, 46 years ago, I looked it up. 46 years ago, I was taking a course called First and Second Corinthians in Greek from this guy. And it was a fascinating class. It changed everything about how I perceived Christianity and, and all that. So, Dr. Horner, I know you listen to these every once in a while, and if you're watching this video, thank you, and I hope I don't mess up on my interpretation of 2 Corinthians 5. This is the passage that I, we're going to look at today, and I've read it at hundreds of graveside services. It's the passage I like to read, especially if there's kids around. At the point where you're at the cemetery and the coffin is about to be lowered into the ground, I try to use it, it's such an important passage, I try to use it on a Sunday at least once a year, but it's been two years, so I'm kind of slacking on that. But the passage is that important. It represents the development of Paul's thought, the continuing revelation that he received. You know, he started out, well, he wrote uh, the letters to the Thessalonians about 10 years before this, and... Uh, in the Thessalonians, he had a different perspective of what happened when we died. He was still teaching what he had been taught as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees believed that when you died, you were put in a grave until Judgment Day, when God would come along and judge you, and you'd, then you know, he'd wake you up and send you either one place or the other, and the other wasn't a very good place. And that's what the Pharisees believed. Now, as Paul developed in his thought. Ten years later, as he wrote Second Corinthians, he has a different perspective. And that's the perspective that we're going to look at today. We're starting with first verse 1 of chapter 5. And this is, I think, one of the coolest passages ever. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. See, now, he's talking about this earthly tent. 
It's going to be transformed into a house. You know, tents are kind of a pain. I've got a tent in my basement, probably hasn't been un taken out in 10 years. And I hate it. I hate sleeping in tents. My idea of camping is Holiday Inn. I uh, much prefer that. But what Jesus is saying here, he's taking this, this teaching of living in a tent, and now the tent, which is temporary, is taken down, and we're moving towards a house that is built in heaven that's going to house our souls. Right now our souls are being housed by this temporary deteriorating body. Then it's going to get a new body that does not deteriorate. Jesus talked about this in his promise to go and prepare a place for us. This is what he was talking about, a house in heaven. And the house is like our body to house our souls. Jesus' first audience was 100% Hebrew. We were Jewish people. And to them, when he said tent, they immediately thought back to the Bible stories in the Old Testament of the tabernacle. You know, remember how when the Jews left Egypt, they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, and then some years after that, they still had as a temple the tabernacle. It was a tent, and no doubt it wore out just like every other tent did. The tabernacle was a preview of the temple, just as your body now is a preview of the body you're going to have. Tents need constant repair. The temple that we're getting will not. So here he goes as we go on with this passage. It's kind of cool. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. You all know that clothes wear out. My clothes shrink in my closet over time. But our bodies wear out too. And what he's saying is he's going to put a new body on our souls just like when we change clothes, just like when we put a new coat on. It's like putting on new clothes. That's what it's going to be like. He goes on, verse 3, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Those of you who uh, watched cartoons on Saturday morning, you know, those of us who are really old, remember that. And remember with uh, Bugs Bunny show and, and all those other things, boy, heads just pop up when I say Bugs Bunny. I got to say that more often. But you know, remember the, the one where the coyote chased the, the roadrunner around? And every time somebody would die on there, they'd turn into this vapor floating around with little wings playing a harp singing hymns all day. I don't want to do that. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Nobody wants that. Physical being, we will be physical beings in a heaven that's designed for us. And it's indicated by Jesus that we're going to have a lot to do, plenty to do. He taught that if we take care of what's entrusted to us in this life, we're going to be put in charge of more for the next Maybe we become the guardian angels of our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and who knows what. Maybe that's what we do. I have no proof of that, but I kind of think it's true. As we go on, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. 
Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Again, another pretty cool thought. See how there's, there's a whole lot of groaning and sighing going on. It's getting time for the Iowa State Fair again, which I try to make a trek to every year. It's in Des Moines. They have this big building full of displays. It's basically a sales thing. And there's always these fancy recliners, you know, these $1,500 recliners in there. And as you go there, you know, if you go in the morning, that's when the senior citizens are there because they don't want to be in the heat of the day and they don't want long days. So you go there at like nine o'clock in the morning and there's maybe 20 recliners there, all different styles. And every one of them's got an old redneck sitting in it. It's fun to see. And then when they have to get up, it sounds like a horse being neutered. I mean, it's all, you know, and, and they, uh, there's a lot of groaning and sighing. Now, nobody really wants to die, as this passage says, but we want to put on these new bodies so that we don't have to sound that bad getting up out of a recliner. And our new body is waiting for us. And he concludes this passage with this, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. When you, de when you decide to believe, to trust Jesus to save you, he sends his Spirit, which makes it that much easier to believe. So God is preparing you for the new body, and we will appreciate the new bodies more as this one wears out. So he's got a couple more verses here. He says, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. I like that line. Live by believing and not by seeing. I believe all this in 2 Corinthians 5. I believe that the minute you die, somebody comes to greet you, don't know who it is, I teased my dad about that. You know, my dad had a thing about, uh, he was kind of a little bit racist and he was definitely anti-Muslim and, and boy, he didn't care for gay people at all. And as he was in the hospital, you know, we were kind of joking around, my brother and I, and I, I said to him, you know, or he said, you know, Jesus is going to come for me pretty quick. And I said, yeah, but he doesn't really have time. He's going to send some angels to come and get you. He's going to send two gay black Muslim angels to pick you up. And uh, he laughed too. So that was a good thing. But, you know, I can't prove any of that. And I can't prove any of these things that this passage says because we live by believing and not seeing. I believe it all, but I can't prove it. But I've made a choice to trust Jesus. And once you make that choice, he sends his Holy Spirit and makes it seem absurd that you would ever doubt it. He sends what John Calvin called the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, where this mystery happens inside of you. It says, yeah, this is true, this is true. And I think that's so. I don't think I could ever not believe. So if we take this passage seriously, we're going to get new bodies in a new place designed specifically for us. And like I said, I've used this at, at uh, committal services many times. And one of the things I've used for little kids over the years is I would give them a beat up old glove. 
the significance of it is, is that you, you know, you wear out your gloves, you go buy a new pair. And it's the same way with your body. When your body wears out, when you trust in Jesus, he comes along and gives you a new one. Now, I, I used to give kids the worn out gloves until I ran out of worn out gloves. But it's kind of a cool thing. There's one kid, not a kid anymore, he's in his mid-30s. I talked to him about a month ago, and he said he still sleeps with that worn-out glove under his pillow. I gave it to him when his dad died probably 15 years ago, and he's still doing that. Another way I've illustrated this in the past is with cars. And uh, the worn-out Ford to the new Toyota is purely coincidental. But the thing is that, you know, the pickup, the car wears out eventually, and then it has to be replaced. Think of your soul as what drives the car. The car is worn out, so you replace it with a new one. And that's guaranteed. Now, with these promises, why would you not trust in Jesus? I mean, what do you have to lose? If it isn't true, you're going to end up in a grave like everybody else. But if it is true, there's an eternity of blessings that will come to you in a new body, so take it. It's the best deal in the universe. There's an artist that likes to illustrate this, and this is one of his paintings, welcoming someone home. The story behind it is the young lady there is his 90-year-old grandmother being fully restored and ushered up into heaven. I think that's how it works. Of course I can't prove it, but I've chosen to believe it. I want everyone here, everyone the whole world to turn to Jesus. I want everyone to trust him to save them. I want everyone to, to get in my chair here, not all at once, but you know what I mean, everybody to get in as a symbol of letting the chair hold you up just as you trust Jesus to hold you up, as you trust Jesus to save you. And when you trust him, the new bodies are guaranteed. Now, I believe this. Once we trust him, then, we can live the way he wants us to, which is by treating other people like we want to be treated, because that is the essence of the Bible. Jesus guaranteed this with his resurrection. The night before he was crucified, he gave us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to participate in this now 